0: So today we are going to jump back into this series that we started a few, probably about a month and a half ago in talking about purity. If you're here last couple of weeks, Dan Stewart was here and uh, did a great job. Dan's always wonderful. And John Looney spoke last week. And so this morning, I want before we jump into the passage, I, I want you to kind of understand where we're going this morning. Um, there'll be a lot of, of notes that will show up on the screens. If you're a really like, copious note taker, you can you can take notes. But I also want you to understand that the the message this morning, because the nature of what we'll talk about uh, and what Paul talks about in in Ephesians chapter five, is that this is kind of a, a PG, almost borderline PG-13 message. So if you have young kids that are in here right now and you don't. Want them to hear uh, certain things, then maybe they should go to class uh, where there'll probably be something more. Some of you are like, "What is he going to talk about?" Others are like, "I'm so glad I'm here this morning. This is really exciting." PG-13 church. I like this, right? So, don't worry, you'll be disappointed by the end. Okay. No, but I wanted you to understand, because the nature of what Paul talks about, uh, it's important for us to know that there are things that we'll talk about this morning that obviously require a a mature approach to them. But before we we walk through the details, let's go ahead, and if you have your Bibles, let me read through these verses, verse 3 through 7 of Ephesians chapter 5, where Paul focuses in, this is part one of purity, and really talking about the first step in the process of purity is having to choose to reject what is impure in our life. And so, Paul begins in verse 3, and he says, but... Uh, but among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or co- coarse joking, which are out of place. But rather, thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure: no immoral, imp- impure, or greedy person, such as a, a man, is an adulterer or an idolater. Excuse me, has an inheritance or has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. Now, before we talk about this morning choosing to reject impurity in the process of purity, I want you to... to, to Dial down in two areas of your life Because I know I have dealt with these subjects many times as a pastor And there are usually two responses that cause noise in our minds and our hearts That allow us to miss what God is trying to say On one side, when we talk, and which we'll talk a good portion about today About sexual immorality or sexual impurity or living in sexual purity There's this shame factor for many of us that goes through the roof because of our history Because of the failures in our past. And because of that, immediately we become self-focused on how we've blown it and how we've struggled. And because of that, we're not listening to what the Holy Spirit's saying. We're just listening to our own guilt and shame. This morning, God says, dial that down. You need to listen. Or we go to the other extreme, which says, oh, that's not me. That's not me. I don't have problems like that. I don't have issues like that. That's the other person. And that's our pride that kind of ramps up. And because of that, we deflect what the Holy Spirit's trying to say to us. So on both fronts, those two areas, pride and shame, have to be dialed down so that we can hear what the Holy Spirit wants to say this morning. So look at verse 3. So if we're going to choose to reject impurity on our journey to being people who are pure before the Lord, then we have to listen to what Paul says in verse 3. He says, But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual the three key phrases sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. So those three key phrases describe for you and I what Paul is saying when he's referring to really what is impure or what we have to reject. And the first one is sexual immorality, which we'll talk about, which in its kind of basic definition is any sexual activity outside the context of marriage. So that's, in a a sense, it's sex without boundaries, and we'll talk about boundaries a little bit. uses the second word, which is impurity, which is a more general term for the same thing, for immorality, that has to do with our thoughts, our passions, our fantasies. So it has to do with kind of the world we live in in our minds, is what he's talking about. And then he uses the word greed, which usually we apply to money, but here that's not what he's saying. It's a self-centered, all-consuming lust for more without concern for others. So, he uses those three terms to kind of say, hey, listen, this is what impurity looks like. These are the kinds of things that if we're going to journey towards impurity, a new way of living, we have to choose to reject in our life. And really, what he's talking about is boundaries. Now, for many of us, when we think of boundaries, we think of limits, we think of being held back, and we don't like that. But when God sets up boundaries for us, it's not to restrain us or control us. It's to allow us to live in a context that actually allows us to flourish, to actually allows us to be fulfilled and to be content within the boundaries he's created. But we think, oh, I always have to go find pleasure and contentment and happiness outside the boundaries. But God says, no, I've created boundaries for you so that you can live the way i intended to perfect example when you go back to the garden of eden god created very limited boundaries for adam and eve they had domain over everything over all the creation and animals and food and, and there was only one limitation one boundary god gave them he said don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and what did they do happiness must be in that tree so they ate from it see that's and what happened did they find happiness no they found sin death and brokenness and that's the same thing that's true for for what Paul's talking about in this. So, so talking about these kind of categories and the boundaries that, that God wants us to understand when we talk about, let me talk about kind of the thought life, the, the the thought process that we go through, the the what Paul's talking about, the, the thinking, the fantasies that, that kind of take over our, our minds and our hearts when we think through that. In our culture today, one of the things that has become so prolific that actually uh, contributes to this more than any other kind of generation before is pornography and the the onslaught of the internet and mobile devices and access to things like that has taken the access to pornography through the roof and what pornography does is it creates this artificial environment in our minds of what we think should be true in reality and in in reality it never is true. Uh, because in, in when you look at pornographic material, you look at videos, those things are not based in reality. Uh, technology is used all the time to create this false sense of reality of what's there. And so what happens is it allows us, what Paul's talking about, to enter into kind of this thought of of things that are not real, but we think that they are, and we begin to have fantasies. And then what happens is this is kind of the starting point before action occurs. It starts here and in here. And we start to think about things and we start to fantasize and we start to live kind of in a world of illusion before we ever act. But that's why it's so it's one of the things in in the church and in our in our culture is pornography is actually probably more dangerous than any illicit drug on the street because what it'll do to you. It will control you. In fact, there's studies being done. In fact, uh, Ted Roberts, Dr. Ted Roberts has done an amazing study on pornography and sexual addiction. And he's actually, over time, uh, pornography can change the chemistry of your brain. It can do things to your mind that you didn't even know it could do. It can control you in ways that you become addicted just like any other substance. And because of that, that's what Paul's saying, if we're going to live pure, there has to be a place where we choose to reject the fantasies and the thought life and the things that we live in, thinking they're reality, and realize they're not, they're not based in reality. They're a lie that the enemy has come along to kind of sell, sell us on something that is not true and not real. And again, it's always outside the boundaries of what God has intended for us as people who choose to follow him. In a sense, when we get involved in the thought process, we get involved in pornography and that kind of thing. It's like, anybody remember the original movie Alien? Remember? If you're that old, you know, back, I think it was like the early 80s, right? So do you remember in that there's that one scene where basically the, the, the alien attaches itself to people and they plant eggs inside people and they don't know that. One guy like falls on the table and he's like convulsing and then boom, this alien jumps out of his chest. Anybody remember that? I won't play it because that's like rated R. That's not PG-13, so. But that's kind of what happens when we allow our thought process to be captured by fantasies and we, we use pornography. Because what's happened is it's planted a seed deep inside of us. That it may not surface for a while, but it's growing inside of us. And it's waiting for the opportunity, when, it, when the opportunity comes, to actually cause us to, to do things that we wouldn't think we would normally do because the seed is already planted inside us. So the second thing that Paul talks about, he talks about the thoughts, and then he talks when he talks about sexual morality, he's talking about sexual activities. And that has to do with intercourse or contact that that leads towards those activities that are outside the boundaries of marriage between a man and a woman with what God intended. And because of that, you and I have to think, first of all, okay, what's going on in my thought process? Secondly, what are the activities that I'm involved with in my life? Am I involved with things outside the context or boundaries God created? Am I involved with things that will lead to that? That's the end result of the behavior or the activities that I'm, I'm involved with. And we have to think through how we're triggers in our life, things that happen, because this is so important. And I counsel people all the time and understand God is gracious and compassionate and forgives and does restore. But God's original intent was for us to live pure and to live pure into marriage and to live pure in marriage. And because of that, God has created this amazing thing in the sexual arena for intimacy and sexual intimacy with husband and wife that is intended for them to experience and them to enjoy and them alone without anybody else prior to or obviously within the context of marriage. And the reason that's so important is because God has created a gift. This gift is called virginity that he gives to every human being that he gives to us to steward, to hang on to. To, to maintain until the proper context is given for marriage for us to give that gift of virginity away. Now, I already know right now, and I'm not, no one's giving me signs with their faces, the shame factor is going up. You think, I wasn't a virgin. I'm not a virgin now, and I'm not even married. And so now, that t- dial it down, listen to what God wants you to understand. Like I said, God, if you're involved in a relationship right now that you're involved with, with sexual activity outside the context of marriage, God can forgive, God can restore, God can heal. But understanding the way that the things work and the way that the reason God gave us this thing called virginity because it's a gift to give to our spouse. And I've shared this before, and I've shared it with a lot of young people because a lot of times they're the biggest ones that push back on boundaries. Like, why do I have to wait? Come on. That's like old school. That's so like yesterday. And so, you know, now in, in the context we live in, you know, you can have sex with anybody you want to have sex with. You certainly can, but every time you do, you give a piece of yourself away that you can't get back. And I've shared this story before. It's like if you're a kid. and when I was a kid, I remember I loved Tonka trucks. And so if I was going to a friend's birthday party, I would go out and we would buy him a Tonka truck. Now, if I went and bought the Tonka tonka truck and I brought it home and wrapped it up and the birthday was like four days away, but I wanted to play with the Tonka truck so much, a friend came over and I said, man, you know what? If we unwrap it and we play with it once, my friend, when I give it to him, he won't know that we've played with it. I'll clean it up real nice and put it back in the box. He'll never know. And so a friend comes over. We unwrap it. We play with it. It gets a little dirty. I wipe it down. It looks pretty good. There's a couple gashes here and there, you know, from rocks. But I wrap it up and put it in. And then the next day, another friend comes over. I'm like, oh, if we do it again, it's not going to make that much difference. And so another gash or two. And then by the third day, a wheel falls off. And, you know, and. And then you wrap it up, and then you take it to his birthday, and you're like, open it up. And when he opens it, you're like waiting for him to go, wow. And he looks at it, and he goes, what happened? That's what virginity looks like. When we give that gift away and think, oh, I can take it back, and I can clean it up, and I can make it look brand new, you can't. Because you've given a part of yourself away that was intended for your spouse. But again, God is gracious, God is compassionate, and God is forgiving, and God can restore but for those of us, if you have not experienced sex yet, if you are a virgin, God has given you a gift. One of the things that drives me crazy in our culture right now is somehow people think that you're prude or you're geek or you're weird if you're a virgin. It should be the opposite because someone who can maintain their virginity into marriage is somebody who has discipline and has self-control and is committed to what God has purposed for their life. So understanding that, there's a third thing that Paul mentions in this, and so he talks about our thoughts, our activities, and then he talks about the concept, and he uses the word greed, of sexual compulsion. when We we have to reject that. So it starts in the mind, it works its way out into our activities, and then eventually what happens is when it works into activities over time, it becomes a compulsion. It becomes an addiction. And that's why Paul uses the word greed, because greed has to do with this, like, un- satisfied desire for sexual encounters that never answers to the need inside of us, but there reaches a point in our life when addiction takes over, and when addiction takes over, what happens is that we no longer value people, we only value our pleasure. That's when addiction takes over. So basically, people become a means to our end. That's what greed means. It's that lust, it's that drive to use somebody else with no concern for them. Now, that's the kind of the, the ultimate outcome of what happens when we get to that point. But just a, a note. So Paul's talking about these things, but I think there's something important to identify between male and female when it comes to this arena. Because for the most part, now this is not like 100% true 100% of the time, but there are tendencies with the male mind and heart and the female mind and heart and how we view sex differently and things that we have to protect against when we, when we think about these things. So a guy, and I can speak obviously because I am a guy, so I can be an expert on a guy, okay? Sex becomes something that we manipulate for for our own gratification. And we have to be careful because as a guy, we can be very efficient at compartmentalizing our life. So we can check in and check out very easily. Whereas a woman, because of their emotional makeup, they, can, they weave everything together through life and everything is all connected. Guys who are married, how many know that's true? Nod right now, right? There are no compartments. But for us as guys, one of the things that we have to make sure of is that we don't manipulate a woman, whether our wife or not, for our own gratification. Because if we do that, what we're on the border of is sexual addiction. Because no longer are we valuing that woman as a woman. We are valuing them only as much as she can give to us. And that can happen even in marriage. Sex can become that, where you're so driven by that, you are just manipulating your wife to get what you want from her. And if that's the case, you need to take a step back. Because now you're manipulating situations. You're not valuing her. Now, women on the other side whereas guys will use manipulation to get sex so they can be gratified, on the other side, not always, but many times women will use sex as a form of acceptance. If I will give myself to him, somehow he'll love me. Somehow he'll value me. Somehow he'll care about me if, I, if I'm willing to go that far, if I'm willing to give myself, which in his mind is really the opposite. Because if you're going to give that to him hoping that he'll accept you He's probably just using you for his own self-gratification. And so, in fact, he will probably value you less if you give him that. Don't confuse women. Do not confuse sex and acceptance. That's one of the greatest dangers to a life of impurity because we just say, if I give myself away to him, then he'll love me. And that's why he doesn't call the next morning. And that's why things are different after you have sex. Why? Because he got what he wanted. He didn't want you. He wanted to use you. And I know it's like, wow, maybe we just stepped over. We are really more PG-13. Almost are right now. I know it's getting really quiet in here right now. But we have to be, understand this is the, kind of the makeup of our culture. This is the makeup of the way that we, we function. And we have to be aware of those pitfalls. Because what God's desire is for us is purity. Is purity in this area. Now, we'll revisit that in just a little while, but go on to verse 4, because now Paul turns, and of course, his big push here is really to, has to do with the sexual arena, but then he says in verse 4, he talks about rejecting impurity in our words, not only in our, in our, our sexuality, but in our words. He says in verse 4, nor, uh, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or co- coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. So again, Paul uses three terms or words. He says obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking. What is obscenity? It's foul language It's cussing It's swearing that's, that's the easiest translation Of what Paul's talking about And I don't know What the choice Four letter words Were in Paul's day But we all know What ours are And we all know That there's a line That we cross Foolish talk Has to literally Translate it, It's stupid talk That's what Paul's saying it's, it's when we're just being stupid with our words and we're not being, being concerned with other people. And then he says it leads to coarse joking, which is just inappropriate talk. There's innuendo involved. When you know that you've crossed a line, it's not necessarily using choice four-letter words. It's using phrases and saying things that you know are crossing a line uh, in terms of trying to, to make light of something so people will laugh. So in our words, because obviously he talks about our, our, our behavior and the sexual you know, but then the words that we choose— So you don't have to raise your hand, but we will all raise our hand. If one or or two times in our life we've cussed or we've sweared or we use a four-letter word, I'll be honest, I have. I have. And and I remember the first time, actually the first time I dropped an F-bomb. Sorry, I know I just shattered your whole view of me, okay? (laughs) I was 10 years old. And we, my parents were very strict on our language. We were not allowed to. I mean, surrounded by kids in the neighborhood who were constantly dropped four-letter words all the time. But we, obviously, in our family, that was like the no-no. But what happens is swearing or cussing is a result of something inside of us that comes out when we're push, pushed or pressed. And my, my sister knew my buttons. And so one day when my parents were gone, she was a couple years older than me, she locked me out of the house with her friend. And not only did she lock me out of the house, they, she and her friend came right up to the window and just were taunting me, like sticking their tongue out at me and making fun of me. You can't get in the house. And finally, I'm like, ah, and I dropped it right there. I mean, really loud, screamed it. probably all the neighbors heard. And that was like huge. When my parents got home, oh my goodness. My punishment, this, is, this will tell you how old I am, okay? Disney had a movie called Gus, and it was about a mule that kicked field goals. And it was coming on the Sunday night movie the next day, Guess who had to sit in his bedroom for three hours while their family watched Gus? I still to this day have not seen Gus because I dropped the F-bomb. But I know that's a childhood story, and I know there's something more serious that we deal with when our language, our vocabulary starts to take on that flavor constantly. And that's what Paul is saying. We shouldn't be doing that. And he also talks about not only swearing, but he talks about thoughtless speech or foolish talk. And what he's talking about there is when, when we have a tendency to not even think about what we're saying, we lose sensitivity to people around us. We're not concerned about them. We're only concerned about ourselves. We're concerned about what people think of us, and so we'll say certain things. Like, guys, you ever done this? You're trying to make conversation with a woman who you think is pregnant, and you ask her when she's due? Anybody ever done that only to find out she's not due at all? I have. Yeah. Why? Because in the moment you're thinking I'm making a conversation, I'm just going to ask, oh, you know, I'm trying to be nice, but I'm not really thinking through what I'm saying. Now, there are other things that we do. We're not thinking about somebody else when we use certain words or when we say things, because all of us know our words are very powerful and can be very painful and can hurt people. And that's why we have to be thinking through. A pure life thinks through what it's going to say. And then kind of the last area when Paul talks about coarse joking, he's talking about a self-centered kind of mentality, which is I will use my words to make fun of somebody else at their expense to boost myself or to somehow diffuse an uncomfortable situation because I want people to laugh at somebody else, not me. And we do that. We do that in our life when we'll make jokes or we'll even give innuendo about sexual things and stuff like that that are inappropriate, that are kind of coarse in their nature. And, and, and that's why, you know, it's like it's the typical kind of stereotypical thing. You know, when the beautiful woman walks by the construction site and the construction workers are all howling and whistling and everything, and some guy makes some coarse joke, and then they all laugh. Why do they all laugh? Because they're all completely awkward and uncomfortable. But if somebody makes a joke about it, then ah, we can all kind of laugh about it. It's not that big deal. Meanwhile, the girl walks by feeling completely undressed and completely uncovered by those guys. Thinking about how we say things, how we joke, the the comments that we make about other people, that leads to impurity in our life. So, third thing, look at verse seven. So we we were rejecting impurity in our sexuality, in our words, and then Paul talks about verse seven in our relationships because he says, "Therefore, do not be partners with them." Now, Paul is not saying don't be friends with people who are impure, because if that were true. You and I would have to go move to a mountaintop by ourselves and never have contact with any other human being. And that would be a cult, and we're not going to do that because it's impossible. But what he's saying is he says don't be partners with them, which means don't participate in their activity, in their thought process, in their words. That means when you are in a context where people are living out of the boundaries that God intended for them, you don't become one of them. You maintain the boundaries that God has given you for your life in the context of purity in a way that is a demonstration to them of what God intended for your life to be. Not in a judgmental way, not in a shameful way, but in a way that says, I can live amongst impure people and still maintain a pure life. And it is possible to do that. Because I know in places that I have been, one of the things, if you live like a normal human being, and you don't act crazy like a Christian who's judgmental like Pharisees who points the finger at everybody else, but you just live as a human being, and you love people, and they discover the differences between you and them in terms of purity and impurity, I've always found that they have a higher level of respect for you, because they see something in you that they've struggled with. Yeah, they know that you're human and that you struggle with the same things, but you've been able to somehow navigate this purity thing in your life. And that means that you and I can be friends with people who are struggling in areas of impurity in their life and be an example of what God can do in us. And that's the question, I think, when it comes to this area. Because we live in an impure world and we're, we're inundated. It's all around us. But the question, actually a couple questions is, really, do we bend when it comes to impurity in our life? Or do we offend people by our self-righteous attitude towards purity? Or ultimately, do we intrigue people with our lives? Do people look at you and I and think, wow, there's a part of me that's frustrated with them because I don't understand them because they're living differently. They have something that I want that I can't admit that I want, so their life intrigues me. And that's the question. We fall into one of those three categories. We will bend to the impure ways of the world and will become just like the world. Or we'll go to the other extreme and we'll offend everybody because we're so self righteous about any sign of impurity that we just can't go crazy after it. And we become, in a sense, we become prude towards sexual things and sexuality. And that's one of the challenges in the church. If you have teenagers, parents, if you have preteens, you need to be talking about sex with your kids. And it's not a bad topic. They need to know about it, they need to talk with you about it. It shouldn't be awkward. Okay? Even though you may be dealing with your own history, there has to be that conversation because it's happening every day at school. It's happening every day with their friends. It's happening every day on television. It's having every day on their phones and on the internet. It's there. They need to hear it from you. They need to hear a clear voice from you in a in non-awkward way of honesty about sexuality, sexual thoughts, sexual struggles. And if you and I will get to that point, people will be intrigued by our lives. They will see that there is a difference Jesus was the most pure human being to ever walk the planet, yet sinners didn't run from him. Who did run from him? The religious leaders did, but impure people didn't, even though he was pure and he never compromises purity. And if you and I were to live that way, we would see people's lives changed around us. And then there's a couple of things I want to touch on um, before we conclude that have to do with Why? Why reject impurity and this is the question that seems to come up all the time This is the the kind of the the battle within our culture When people look at the church or they look at the bible or they think of god they think of a prude They think restriction. They think legalism. They think being too conservative They don't think in reality of what's really going on. So what happens is because of that people think why? Why do I have to abstain? Why do I have to live a certain way? Why can't I just do what feels good to me? Why can't I just step out of bounds and define for myself what is right and what is wrong? we all heard that in our culture. There's a reason why we can't do that, because we didn't create ourselves. We didn't create the boundaries. We didn't create how we're supposed to live. We didn't create the way that God has made us. God created all of that, and therefore God understands best what we should understand. And so when Paul says in verse 5, there's two things of why we should reject impurity. And the first one, these are pretty strong, verse 5, is because it will cause you to lose your inheritance. Now let me explain what I mean by that. Paul says in verse 5, for of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Now, am I saying sexual sin is the unpardonable sin? I'm not saying that. But what Paul's saying is the road that you and I will go on towards impurity is the road that will lead us away from God, that will lead us to an eternity away from Him, losing out on the inheritance of heaven. Committing one sexual sin will not send you to hell, but embracing a life of impurity eventually will. Not because God says, okay, well, you're impure, that's like, Worse than anything, no, it's because the impurity will become your idol. It will become the road that you're on. It will become the journey that causes you at moments in your life to choose to reject who God is and embrace what you want to do in your life. That's the warning that Paul gives, is that if you and I set off on this journey of doing our own thing and setting up our own boundaries, what we're doing is we're making a statement to God, not your way, but my way. I'm going to do it my way. And God said to Adam and Eve in the garden, you chose to do it your way. Now, this is the world that you live in. The world we live in now, people are like, why does God allow this to happen? Why did God do this? No, God was gracious enough to say, you choose to be your own gods, and then you live in the world that you have, in a sense, created. That's the world we live in. That's the world that we live in. It's not God's fault that things fall apart and things break and bad stuff happens. It's the impact of sin throughout centuries across the globe that has brought us to the place that we're at, that God has given us the freedom to live our own way. But he also says if you continue down that road, you'll continue down a road that is absent from me, and you'll lose out on your inheritance. That's the story of mankind, not just in the sexual arena, that mankind chooses to go its own way And God, in his compassion and his grace and his mercy and his love, sends Jesus to intersect history to say there's a better way. The better way is with God. And that's why Jesus came to reconcile us back to God. But we continue to go our own way. Why is this so important? Because what you and I are saying to God when we choose impurity over purity, when we choose to do it our way instead of his way, is we are really defining for him who we trust. Because what God is asking for you and I, when he says, this is, this is the parameters that I've set up for you as a human being so that you can flourish, not just as a believer, someone who follows Jesus, but as a human being, how you can flourish. This is the way that you were created to live. When he sets that up for us and says, you should trust me, that's the bottom line. He's saying, will you trust? The issue is trust. And we, have, we can trust two people when it comes to the areas of purity and impurity in our life. We can trust God or we can trust ourselves. That's it. We can trust our judgment on what we think is right and wrong, or we can choose to trust God and what he knows is best for us in our lives. It's an issue of trust. So really, if we get it down to the bottom level, am I going to trust God with my eternity? Am I going to trust God with my sexuality? And I'm gonna, Am I going to trust God with my temptations? Or am I going to trust myself with my eternity? Am I going to trust myself with my understanding of sexuality and, and sexual activity? Am I going to trust myself with my future? That's scary. That I, I know myself. Every human being, we know ourselves. I don't want to trust myself. Because I know when I trust myself where it ends up. And if you and I will understand, the, the, the battle that goes on, the tension that goes on, is that God is our spouse. That's what the Bible says, talks about, that we're the bride of Christ. And so what the mistress represented out here is that impurity that calls to us and beckons says, there's happiness out here, there's fulfillment out here, there's pleasure out here. And God says, no, it's not there. And he calls us back to be reunited with him. So the first thing it's important to understand why reject impurity is because what Paul says is it will cause you to lose your inheritance. And there's a second thing, we'll take a little bit of time on this. We need to reject impurity because it will cause you To remain an object of God's wrath. Now, this is where that pride thing can go up and say, Oh, not me, but listen to what Paul says in verse 6. He says, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. So, let's just take a step back before we talk about the specifics of what Paul's saying. So, this is the way God has set it up. God says, Choose to be with me the way I created you to be, the way that will fulfill you, the way will allow you to flourish, or choose to do it on your own. When you choose to do it on your own, you step out of my covering, and now you become an object of my judgment and my wrath, because now you're responsible for yourself. That means when you fail, there is no forgiveness for you, because you're out on your own. There is no covering. Now you're an object of my wrath, which means you will face judgment. The beauty is, is that Jesus, when he came and died on the cross, he took the wrath of God on himself for us as a shield and a covering for sinful people who could not pay the price on their own. As we walk back into relationship with God, instead of us being an object of God's wrath, now we are a child of God. We are a part of God's family because of what Jesus has done to cover our sin. But when we reject that and we reject purity, and we reject what God wants, we step out of that, and again, become an object of God's wrath. I don't know. That's not a good thing. God's wrath, God's judgment, eternity apart from Him, that's not a good thing. Nothing is worth that. But that's what Paul's talking about, is that that, that, that is where we end up, and that's an incredible danger This thing of impurity and impurity, whether to have sex or not have sex outside of marriage. There's a whole lot more going on because of the journey it will take us on. Now, hear me. You're thinking, oh my gosh, if I've ever had sex outside of marriage, I'm doomed and I'm an object of God's wrath. Not if you've embraced Jesus and asked for forgiveness and embraced that. That's the beauty of what Jesus has done. But let me talk about some specifics about the dangers of impurity in our culture and what it causes to happen. There's, there's some things behind the scenes that go on that don't get addressed all the time. Now, I know we are walking through a time right now where, and I mentioned this a number of weeks ago, where obviously the Supreme Court has basically said that every state in the United States cannot deny someone the right to same-sex marriage. And we talked about Jesus' approach to people who are struggling with sexual identity or living in a homosexual lifestyle. And it's important that we have compassion and grace and mercy and love towards people who may be struggling in that area. But on the other side, of it, I want you to understand, and this is the balance of why God has set up in the arena of sexuality, male, female, in the context of marriage. Why God did this. It's so important. And that's why to argue about, okay, is homosexuality wrong? Where's the scripture I can justify? You don't even have to talk about homosexuality to understand what God purposed for marriage and for husband and wife it doesn't even have a category for homosexuality. Because it wasn't even part of the created order. It wasn't part of what God intended. And so that's why it's so important to understand the bigger picture. So the first danger of impurity is that what happens is when we go down this road, that we, we, we begin to redefine. And when we redefine the gender of our sexuality, we don't understand the image of God. Let me explain what I mean by it. this. is so important. When we as human beings begin to say I am gay, or I'm homosexual, or I have, you may have tendencies, and we talked about that. That, is, that happens in people. They have a draw towards the same sex, but that's the cumulative impact of sin in our culture. We all have tendencies towards things that we shouldn't do. The same thing happens in the sexual arena. But when we fully step into that and embrace that as our primary identity, that we say, God created me as a male or a female, but I choose to be the opposite. And what we don't understand is we don't understand the image of God. And let me explain what I mean by that. Listen to Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. It says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. I want you to not miss this. What God is saying is the completeness of who God is, the image of God, is defined in both male and and female. Now, in the Bible, God is given male gender. We call him Father, obviously. But in the image of who God is, because he's created male and female, what best reflects the image of who God is is found in male and female. And so when you begin to rearrange gender or re identify or reassign gender, what begins to happen is now what God has intended the full balance of the image of God reflected in male and female. You lose that. Because the image of God can never be reflected in male and male or female and female, because it's incomplete. And that's not to, to somehow uh, make someone feel horrible or shameful if you're struggling with sexual identity or if you identified as, as gay or lesbian, but it's to say that's what God intended for marriage, which we'll talk about in a moment to be, is male and female coming together to reflect the image of God. That's why marriage is so powerful. It's not just warm, fuzzy feelings that you feel for somebody else. It's a powerful reflection of the image of who God is, which leads to the second thing, is that when we, when we walk down the, the road of impurity, one of the dangers is when we redefine the boundaries of our sexuality, we don't understand the nature of marriage. So let me explain. So going on to Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, it says, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become... One flesh. This is so important. So when we redefine and say, okay, listen, God's just this big prude up in the sky, and he doesn't want us to have fun, so he says you can only have sex in marriage, and he doesn't know what he's talking about, so I can have sex with anybody I want to have sex with, then you've missed the point and understanding of what marriage is all about. Because in, in Genesis 2, 24, the Bible uses a specific phrase that God says about a man and a woman coming together in that union in the context of marriage is called One flesh. That is not just referring to the physical reality of intercourse. It is referring to the comprehensive intimacy of marriage that comes when you are bonded emotionally and physically and mentally and you become, in a sense, one. The same phrase is used of the Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Three persons in one. That's one of, we will never fully understand the Trinity, but we know it's in the Bible, so we have to believe it. But the oneness of God is diff- reflected in the oneness of marriage. And that's why it is so important that when someone's joined in marriage, you understand now you are identifying with the oneness of who God is. The same thing when, when Jesus, it says the Father and I are one. Same word, same phrase, same concept. It's that oneness. It's that connectedness. That means... That every person that you have intercourse with, you have bounded yourself to them in, in oneness. And that means when it's happened over and over and over and over again, you begin to lose who you are. You begin to lose the bond that God created for you to have with your spouse. Now again, God is gracious and compassionate and can forgive and can restore, but he would rather us be obedient and walk in purity. Now, there's a final thing, and that is this. Another part of the danger is when we redefine the purpose of our sexuality, we don't understand the purpose of marriage. So it says in verse 25 of Genesis 2, it says, The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Just so you know, every wedding that I've ever done, I read that verse. And it's always funny to watch people's response. People always get, oh It's a little uncomfortable. We're talking about nudity at a wedding. That's really, that's the wedding night. That's not the wedding. People get uncomfortable because the Bible actually says they were naked. No fig leaves, you know, nothing to cover anything. Adam and Eve were naked as jaybirds. They had nothing on, and yet they felt absolutely no shame. That meant they didn't worry about covering themselves they didn't worry about the image of their bodies they didn't worry about what was seen they didn't worry about it all why because there was an innocence and a purity and an intimacy between the two of them that they were fully known and fully accepted and that's why when when we start messing around with sexuality when we start redefining things when we start changing things we start messing with what god intended this comprehensive picture of sexuality, male, female, and marriage, is all tied into a reflection of who God is. And I, I, I know people who are, have, are living in gay lives. I know couples who, who are married and are same sex, and they, I can tell they have an affection and a love for each other. But one of the things they can never experience is the fullness of what God intended for marriage. They can never reflect the image of God. They can never ultimately experience the fullness of intimacy the way God intended, because of their genders. They can never experience the oneness that Jesus and the Father have, and that is shared within the Trinity, because they can't have that with the same gender. Now, hear me, because don't don't walk out of here and say, "Oh, you know what my pastor said." You're gonna, you know, and no, don't use this as ammunition to go after somebody. Because, again, our approach to someone who is struggling with sexual identity, and some people, chances are you're in the room right now, you're struggling with this, or maybe you're even a lifestyle. God has a better life for you. And you might not be able to see beyond where you're at right now because you think this is the best life that you can have, but God has defined boundaries that are more appropriate and better for you to flourish. Doesn't mean that you won't have temptations and tendencies, but a better life that he has for you to flourish into the person that he created you to be. So when Paul talks about impurity, when he talks about purity, and next week we'll talk about purity more. But what he's talking about is something more than just something that's clean and something that's dirty. He's talking about a lifestyle that God has created us to live. He's talked about the beauty of what relationships and marriage can be. He's talked about, talking to us about how we can live our life in a different way that not only honors God, but reflects to our culture what life should be about, how it should be lived. I know this is not easy, but, but it's part of understanding the Scriptures, and that's why we go to the Scriptures, and you may walk out of here going, yeah, this is a great message. You might walk in and say, man, I'm really offended by Pastor John. Please don't be offended by me. Be offended by Paul and the Holy Spirit, because that's where this is from. <laughs> Be, be offended by Genesis, by, by Moses who wrote this. Because people always go after Christians, go back to the scriptures. If we can't accept the scriptures, then we have to throw out our entire faith. You can't pick and choose what you believe from the scriptures. That's the struggle and the tension. We have to find a way to objectively approach the scriptures and say, God, what are you saying? What is God saying to us? He's intended for you and I to live in purity. Go ahead and close your eyes, bow your heads. I'm going to close in prayer. But before I do, I, I know... This is not an easy, easy topic. It's, it's, it's difficult. And again, I know that in the room right now, what we, we will struggle with is the extremes of shame and pride that will keep us from hearing what the Holy Spirit wants us to hear. So right now, where you're at, I, I want a couple things. I want you just to focus in on what the Holy Spirit is saying. So as you're here this morning, and you know as we've been walking through this last 40 minutes together, There's that twinge when I've mentioned sexual activity or pornography or intercourse or virginity or things like that that have to do in the sexual arena. There's that twinge inside of you of guilt and shame and you're feeling it. And you're feeling upset with yourself or mad at yourself or shameful or even uncomfortable to the point where I, you almost feel like people in the room know what you're thinking. I can guarantee they don't. Only God does. But I want you to know that what you're feeling is an emotion that is inspired and influenced by the enemy to allow the noise in your heart and your mind to remain at such a level that you can't hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. And right now the Holy Spirit is saying it's time to turn that down. Because when you embrace Jesus, when you confess your brokenness, your sin, your sexual addiction, your immorality, your improper thoughts, your viewing of pornography and all those things, when you confess those and then you begin to turn from those, you are forgiven. You are covered. You are clean. You are right. You are purified. You are accepted because of what Jesus has done for you by his death on the cross and his resurrection to overcome sin and death. So in you, God wants you to know there can be no more shame, no more guilt, no more condemnation because now you want to walk free from that. So right now, I'm going to ask that you would just, if that's you, you know that your history, even up to, it might even be last night, that you've walked through some pretty difficult things but you know that there's a, a better way that God has created for you to live today. Then I'm going to ask you that right now where at, you just begin to confess those things to the Lord. He knows what they are, but he's waiting for you to admit those things and say, I I did this and this, and I asked for your forgiveness for this, and you just let God begin to lift that weight off of you, and lift that shame off of you, and allow that covering that Jesus brings by his death over you, that no longer are you an object of God's wrath, but you are an object of his love and his affection. And then maybe there's another group that right now, that in your own mind, your own defense mechanisms have kind of kicked in, and Maybe you're saying, ah, this is not me. I I, I, I I, may have some problems, but I'm not as bad as this person, or I haven't done all that. Or maybe even in your own mind, you're, you're struggling with, oh, you know what, Pastor John's being judgmental about people who are, are in a homosexual lifestyle, and so you're, you're kind of fighting the intellectual kind of battle or the cultural battle in your mind. God's saying, turn down the volume. Listen to what the Holy Spirit's saying. God is not in the business of trying to frustrate or make life difficult or find things that are wrong to trip us up. God's desire is for us to flourish, for us to live fully the life that He created us to live. And because of that, He has set up boundaries and He has set up roles and He has set up gender and He has set up marriage because he is the creator of all things and knows what's best. And that is his heart and his desire is not to condemn and send people to hell, but it's to give people life and hope and freedom and a future that includes eternity with him. And so, Lord Jesus, as we are before you today, we thank you that you are a God who loves us. You are a God who has given us desires in the sexual arena you have given us things that we desire as human beings that in the right context are good and so i pray this morning that you would help us to step back within those parameters or boundaries that you've created for us to experience the goodness of what you created and that you would as well give us the courage to step away from those things that are impure in our life give us the courage to walk away from relationships that are unhealthy to walk away from behavior that has controlled us or dominated us. And that ultimately, Lord Jesus, that we would find ourselves living in purity, living right before you, living a new way that's different than what we lived before, that's different than the culture we live in, that causes people to be intrigued by our lives as we choose to seek you and live in pure pure lives. In your name, amen.